Welcome to Crossroads uh, in cyberspace today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my, my name is Bill, uh, and on behalf of Crossroads, we thank you for joining us today uh, as, we, as we broadcast this service uh, for Easter 2020. Uh, on behalf of the church and all of us, we thank you for joining us. We, we've always feel honored uh, when people do that. Uh, today, uh, as citizens of the world, our nation, our state, and, and even our families are struggling to win the battle of pandemics, the COVID-19, uh, the looming economic pandemic, and the threatening physical and economic health of our country that's taking place right now. Life has truly changed for us over the last several weeks. Most are sheltering in place by government order, uh, many working from home. 17 million people have lost their jobs, a 10% unemployment rate. That's as high as it was during the Great Depression. Kids out of school till next fall, just blessing their parents with all this extra time with them. Uh, around the nation, uh, we've had many die. Last Friday, 2,000 people died last Friday. Uh, half a million people are infected. Worst case scenario, worst case, over the whole period of this pandemic, 100,000 people could die. Um, as we speak, uh, many of us know people who are infected. Some in home quarantine, some in hospitals, and some people that we love very much on ventilators. And uh, all of us are adapting to a new reality. And many of us are asking the most rational, logical question we could ever ask. We're asking why. Why is this happening to us? And where is the hope? Uh, the why question, uh, many are seeking those answers. The truth is, if, if we really want the truth, is we don't know. But we know that God's still God. God is still working out a plan. Nothing happens without him allowing it to happen. Uh, or not just happen, allowing it, ordaining it, and causing it to happen. We know that our loving God is allowing or ordaining the current pandemics. For three weeks, as a church, uh, we've used the same verse. We used, we've used the same verse to draw our attention to first God's control, but also our response to the solution. The verse is well known. It's at times God says if he shuts up heaven so that no rain falls, or he commands grasshoppers, just as going through the uh, African continent right now, if, I, if he commands grasshoppers to devour crops, or he sends plagues inside of our world. This, this, this word plagues among us, and that's what we're dealing with. But he, he gives that. When he allows it, he does it for a reason. Out of his love for us, our great love, he gives us what he wants us to do. If he's lovingly correcting us and bringing us back, our response is his people if we're called by his name, is to humble ourselves. And, and this is hard in the age of, of self-esteem and personal pride and self-actualization and self-realization. This is challenging to, to us as a culture to be able to do this, to, to humble ourselves and then to admit that we sin, that we have failures. And so... In times like this, it's time to turn back to God, to seek his face. And, and so much in our prayer is not so much 
speaking, but listening to him. He's actively transmitting to each and every one of us. So we hear his voice and, and turn from our sins. As we do that, he can hear from heaven. And he can heal our land. He wants to heal our land. He wants, to, he wants us to be in this relationship with him that is an example, a shining light to the world. It's a country that follows Christ. Don't miss the point. The pandemic in, in, our, in our country, it's a real pandemic. The economic and the physical one. But that's not the foundational problem inside of our country. Now, now get ready. This is, uh, this is a message of encouragement for Easter. But I've got to touch on something. Don't miss the point. The most pandemic, most important pandemic inside of our country is a spiritual pandemic. Systems, symptoms of this pandemic are all around us. God has been removed from schools. The Ten Commandments, the Bible, God's truth and God's morals have been replaced by personal truth, personal morals, uh, personal autonomy, free from the control of God is encouraged for everybody. In this verse, God tells us as his people that we come back to him. We come back to him and let him be God. Let him establish truth. Let him establish our morals. Let him establish our lifestyles. This is our God. And, and then if we do that, then we'll stop the spiritual pandemic. And, and then God can heal the economic and the, and the health pandemic that's going through our country. This is the good news for all of us. You know, during this time, and, and thank you for joining us, cyber attendance at church has jumped 500%. More people are looking for God. More people are considering their ways. So this is a great opportunity. God in his love has reached out to us. So, so please, do as the verse says. Seek his face. You know, one of the things inside of our country, this, I was getting ready for this, and I debated whether to put it on or not. But I, I'm going to talk about a letter that Jesus Christ wrote to a church at a town called Laodicea. It was a small church, but it was at one time an active church that loved God and was seeking God. But, but later on in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes them a letter. And he, as he comes to them, uh, he challenges them in this letter, and I, I think it applies to the United States in 2020. The letter uh, comes from Jesus. He says, I, I, I correct and discipline everyone I love. He's the Heavenly Father that loves us. Any father that loves his children will lovingly correct and discipline, not punish. Punishment looks to the past to get even. Discipline corrects for the future that we can do better. And God says that he will discipline us uh, because he loves us. So he tells this church, and I believe our nation, he says, turn from your indifference. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, you know, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne and with my father. You know, the, what they were doing wrong, and, and Jesus was clear, they were lukewarm. They, they acknowledged God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Uh, he said, I'd much rather have you cold and, and not pretending to know me than lukewarm. So he says, get hot. Turn back to God. And, and I think that's a message for all of us. But, 
But this idea of Jesus standing at the door. Now, now recognize who we're talking to. This is God. This is God in the flesh. And so, as I was getting ready for this, uh, many people, as we're sheltering in place, uh, we're, we have time to sit and pray. Someone asked me, a newspaper asked me this last week. It says, are people reading the Bible more? Are they doing this? They've got all this time now. The excuses are gone. I said, I certainly hope so. I, I certainly, you know, I know God is reaching out to them. I'm hoping that people will turn from their indifference, that we'll all open our Bibles. And while we're doing it now, here's the fun part. If, if you're reading your Bible and your heart's open to God and, 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 and you're getting new information and you, you hear a knock at your door or your, your ring phone goes off, uh, buzzes in, you know, through your phone, and so you know someone's there. You know, it may not be UPS or, or FedEx bringing that latest Amazon package or a double load of toilet paper from Costco. It may not be that. Uh, as you're sheltering in place, it may be the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ knocking on your heart. If we get still and we listen, God knocks at our heart. And it's really simple. He doesn't kick the door down. It's a love transaction between us and him. Here is promise. If we open the door, he'll come in and have a meal with us. He'll fellowship. That's a Christian word for, for hanging out, for being with, uh, spending time connecting with him. You know, we'll, we'll have a meal together. That's a big deal in the Middle Eastern culture that Jesus was coming from. And the ultimate outcome of this relationship is we'll go and spend eternity with his Father in heaven. You see, that's the hope of Easter. That's the hope of, for me. That's the hope for each one hearing this message on Easter, whether it's for myself or anyone else. The hope is Jesus Christ. And to honor his presence here, because he is present, he is a risen Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, as a, as a nation, as a church, Forgive us for our sins and, and our sins of indifference, of being lukewarm and, and not turning from our sins. That, that, that you may heal our land. As your people, we thank you for this Easter as a reminder of your love for us. We remember the sacrifice uh, of your life that, that you gave to pay for our sins. We acknowledge that, that you knock on the door of our heart that you love us so much that you seek us out. Thank you that you will give each of us the courage to open our hearts, to open our lives to you, so that you might live through us so we can tell others about your love. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we go. Thank you again as we go forward. Easter 2020, now we start. Let's remind ourselves of the hope even in the middle of the pandemic of health that we're going through and economics uh, that are challenging us, the verse is still the same. We know it. It was, it was the most popular verse, most well-known verse in the United States for decades. Most people, if you're over of any age that went to church, you memorized it. For God so loved the world. You know, that's this tiny, insignificant in space, this little blue, beautiful dot 
is, 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 is one planet uh, among many planets. It's, this is one universe among many universes in the cosmos. But, but, but God so loved this world that he came to this world. And out of love and perfect knowledge, God knows each of us. You see, God so loved the world, that verse means God loved me. He knew my name before the foundation of the world. He loved me before the foundation of the world. He knew your name. For God so loved Bill, and God so loved, put your name in there, that he sends Jesus to us, that if, that if we acknowledge him, that if we, uh, his only begotten son, if we believe in him, we won't perish. We'll have eternal life. Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but that we might be saved. And notice that that eternal life is, starts when we believe in him. That's the promise that we have for him. And that's the promise we have this Easter. It's the good news for everyone who believes in him. The hope of this world in Cyberland in, in 2020, it, our intent is to celebrate the most important historical event that's ever taken place in our world. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're reminded of the truth that the followers of Jesus Christ have always built their lives on. I'm going to take just a minute to review part of the story of Jesus here on earth. It's a story that comes out of the book of Philippians. And this was a, a mantra. This was a, a story told over time and memorized by the early Christians. And, and it describes Christ. It says, this, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, he, he, he didn't think equality with God is something to be grasped. Jesus didn't start when he came here. Jesus is eternal, has lived forever. At a point, he, the Father, the Holy Spirit in heaven, Jesus sets aside all of his godly power. He, he does the unthinkable. He goes from the praise, the worship, the, the safety of heaven, and he comes to earth. He gave up his divine privileges. He takes the humble position of a slave. A slave. And, and in those days, they knew what a slave meant. A slave meant no personal rights, totally under the control of his master. He was born in a human being. You know, he's, he's born not, not in a palace. He, he was born in a stable. Uh, not to rich, wealthy, famous parents, but the humble peasants. His, his crib was a feeding trough for animals. You know, he, he, he came in the humblest possible way through the lowest door. When he appeared, he, he humbled himself. Now, this is God humbling himself in obedience to his father. And, and as a human, he died a death. We'll talk about that as we go along. Most of us know the story. He died this humiliating death. Wh why? So that, so that we might come to know him. And, and, and God elevates him, if you will, to the highest honor, the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. When we leave this earth, and, and we will, unless he comes back first for us, when we leave this earth, we're going to see Christ. He, he is the one that we will face. We'll either hear, well done, or depart from me. He gives us the choice. You know, it's, it's, it's our free will. He won't change that because it's a love relationship, and love has to be free will. 
You know, he, he came, the holy God comes to an unholy world. When Jesus uh, came, he gave authoritative commands. He didn't say, quoting other people. He said, I say. Jesus proved that he was God in the flesh by healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, creating food for thousands of people out of a few McDonald's fish fillets. He calmed storms. He walked on water. For those of you who are uh, familiar with Lake Isabella, when the wind comes down into that bowl, the water gets all stirred up. And the Sea of Galilee is the exact same situation. Uh, he calms the storms there. This is the Jesus who died for our sins, who humbled himself in obedience to his Father to die a criminal's death. You know, what, what does that mean? What, why was that necessary? What's important there? Well, this is our hope. Jesus' death was not an accident. It was an event planned before the foundation of the world. It wasn't a, a good plan gone bad. It wasn't something that, that just popped up and everyone went, whoa, Jesus is dying. He told his disciples one of, a, one of my, my favorite verses, one of the things, for those of you who know me, I, I came to know Christ primarily through the proof offered through prophecy. And, and this prophecy is, is one of my favorite uh, that comes out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. It, it was written, I understand that this was written 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth. 700 years before he, the, his death was predicted. And, and the reason for his death was predicted. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah, he's described as a lamb who was brought to slaughter. Uh, John the Baptist, when he, when he saw Jesus uh, and announced him to the world, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who, who comes to die for the world. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. And that's what the Old Testament says. That's the promise of prophecy, 700 years. This is sheep. He's silent before his shears. He didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, absolutely. He was led away. He was struck down for our rebellion. But look at why. It's us. He died for our sins in advance. You know, before I was born or even conceived or any of you, Christ died for you. He died for me. He had done no wrong. Jesus had done no wrong. He hadn't deceived anybody. And so he died, but he died like a criminal, nailed as a criminal to a cross. But he was put on a rich man's tomb that was close by. Uh, he came and got thrown into a tomb called Joseph of Arimathea, took him down. He and Nicodemus buried him. It was the Lord's good will to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet, yet when his life was made an offering for sin... He, he died for our sins. This is a huge deal for each and every one of us. From the foundation of the world, Jesus died for us. Now, he's taken down. His death is verified by professional killers. His bloody body is thrown into this tomb, quickly wrapped in a, in a shroud, if you will. A very large stone, 2,000 pounds. This was, this was on Friday. We call it Good Friday. And, and it just passed. Uh, and so that was the first one. The whole, in the eyes of the watching world, his disciples and everyone at that time, it was over. It was, it was game finished. It, it was all shut down. Their hopes were crushed. They'd all seen him die. 
they were without hope. Guards were placed so no one could steal the body or tamper, tamper with it. A Roman seal, very serious, was put on the tomb. All the hope of his followers was gone. Their leader, their teacher, their Messiah was gone. Now, everyone knows that the next event in history, uh, the next event is the good news of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. Now, very important, he rose from the dead. God, his loving Father, accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins to show his approval. He raises him from the dead and restores him. We know the story of the empty tomb. This is, the, this is actually, this, this verse is, is not so much just a verse written by the Apostle Paul. It was what was called a creed. A creed is a brief authoritative formula of religious belief. It was repeated over and over again. Just as if, if the church was full of people today, and I'd say, let's, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Let's start quoting the Lord's Prayer. Everyone would kind of jump in. I remember I was in the Marine Corps back at boot camp, and uh, not a religious guy at all. Thought I was cool. I, I wasn't. But I remember one night after a week or two, and everyone's miserable and saying, why did I sign up for this stupid program? And one, someone started to recite the Lord's Prayer. Within a few minutes, everyone was reciting the Lord's Prayer back in the day. Now, now this is the same thing for early Christians. This is a creed, a mantra that they all knew. So they would stand, and this would be part of their testimony. When it was started to be read and talked about, everyone would chime in. Here's what it says. This is Paul writing, I pass on to you what is most important was passed on to me. Christ, here starts the, the creed, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. We just read some of the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures describe. And they do describe that. And then, now here's something neat. He was seen by Peter, and then the twelve. Now, Peter denied him three times. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, they, they'd sent, because the guys are cowering behind the door, they sent women to the tomb to see what was going on. And so Jesus tells the women, go tell Peter that you saw me. First, go tell him to reaffirm him. So he, he and he listed first, he was seen by Peter, reaffirmed, and then by the 12. And, and at one time, he was seen by over 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. But he was seen by James and later by the apostles. And, and last of all, Paul says to himself, born at the wrong time, I saw him. I saw him. This is, these are eyewitness accounts who knew Jesus, who saw him die, are now proclaiming that he is alive. He is with them, and, and he's walking with them. Everything changed. His disciples were his followers. Uh, we, we know his followers throughout history have rejoiced in this truth, this knowledge. And everywhere, lives are changed by his followers today and everyone else. Just as anyone who believes in John 16, as we believe that Christ came out of that tomb, that tomb is empty. Jesus was raised. He showed the world and all of us that the sacrifice was accepted. You know, I was in Israel, and they take us to a tomb. That, that they say, oh, this is the tomb. And, and so it's empty. Oh, Wow. 
it, it, if you look at that, the, the Easter story, Jesus rose. Jesus is alive. You see, that's the good news. Jesus is alive here. He's with me. He's with each person here in the tech crew uh, putting on this service. He's with you. He's with those who you love most. He's with each and every person in this world. Our omnipresent, fully God, most powerful, all-knowing moves in our midst with perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, knocking on the door of each heart, wanting to be with each and every one of us. You know, this is, this is important, these, these eyewitness accounts. The historical resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most documented event in all of history. Not only was he seen by the 12, but there were challenges too. He showed up over a number of places and number of times, over 40 days being seen by people. My favorite uh, that I use every time I get an opportunity is, is, is his, his apostle Thomas. We, we call him Doubting Thomas uh, for good reason. Because eight days after Jesus rose from the dead, they were, the disciples were in a room, closed, locked, again, for security purposes. Uh, eight days the disciples were together. Thomas was with them. The first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. Doors were locked, and Jesus comes and says, Peace with you. And he says to Thomas, now, you know, I say this in the right way, because Jesus said the same thing to me. And actually, he says the same thing to anyone who will listen. He says, Thomas, I don't want you to be doubting. I want you to absolutely believe. You come here, Thomas, and, and put your hands in, in the hole in my side and, and, and put your hands in the holes in my hand. Don't, don't be doubting. And he tells us, don't be doubting. But he gives us a special promise over, over, over Thomas. He says, uh, he says, Thomas, you're blessed because you've seen me. Now, here we are. Blessed are those who, without seeing me, without physically seeing him with our eyes and touching him with our hands, he says, they're blessed. And, and so we're blessed as we believe in him. The evidence is there. It, it's the truth that we have, and, and it changes lives. It radically changes lives if we believe. Even John 3.16 says, if we believe, then we have eternal life. Each of them is based on us committing our lives to what we know is true. But why is it important? You know, I'm going I'm to spend just a time, and we're familiar with this. It's why Jesus had to die. It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. One man, a Jewish itinerant preacher, dying, and yet it changes the course of the world. It does that because he could pay for sins. He could actually die an infinite death for infinite sins. And we as a human race, we certainly have racked up infinite sins. And so when Christ came, he, he, he came for sinners. You know, for, uh, for everyone is sin. Everyone. This flies in the face of so many people today. Everyone admits once in a while when I talk to people that they've sinned, it says, and we all fall short. That's a continuing, ongoing standard of sin. We all sin, past, present, and future. It's just if we acknowledge that, because if we say we haven't sinned, we aren't sinning, we're really calling God a liar, because God says that's the human condition. Even those who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, we still sin. 
Yet, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He makes us right. Makes us right. You know, sin, even the littlest sin, separates us from a holy God. The littlest sin separates us from heaven. Because it wouldn't be a holy heaven if sin of any kind got in. He wouldn't be a holy God if people with sin in their life had a personal relationship with him. Sin is a big deal, but God provides the solution. He's made us right in his sight. He did it through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. All of us before Christ have outstanding warrants because we sin against the holiness of God in the things that we do. Uh, But God makes us right when we believe that Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. It's a belief deal. Do we put our hope in Jesus? Do we do that? Well, it's, it's one of those deals where we can't deny, we can't justify our sins, we, we can't try to blame other people. We just have to own our stuff. And, and when we do that, God says he saves us by grace, amazing grace for amazing sinners. One of my favorite songs, God saves you uh, when we believe. Again, can't take credit, gift from God, not a reward of good works that we've done. You know, one of the, the, the paths to God that 90% of the religions of the world uh, would take, we would do works. Another group of religions say we just have to think right thoughts, uh, then we're okay. But God says none of that counts. It's not of works. I can't cover all my sin by, by piling them over with good works. There's still sin which separates me from God. And, and so no one can boast about it. I, I hear people talking about going to heaven and having crowns and everybody walking around and, whoa, ain't that cool. I know, again, back in the military, we had ribbons across our chest with certain awards that we had won and, and in combat and just all that stuff. And we're, that, they were impressive. They got it. But that's not the way heaven is. We're not going to have ribbons. We're not going to have crowns. You know, if we have anything, we'll lay it at the feet of Jesus because he's the one that did it. Because here's the deal. Look at this next verse. When people work, if we're trying to work our way to heaven, wages, entry into heaven, forgiveness of sin, wages aren't a gift. They're earned. And, and this verse says that uh, people who go and see it as not a gift, they've earned it. They're entitled to heaven. Can, I just, I mean, picture it. Uh, many of the religions of the world, their plan is to come to heaven with this big, long list of work and say, okay, I earned heaven, let me in. Entitlement mentality in heaven is not heaven as we go forward. You know, it's because of faith. Again, believing in God who forgives sins. That's our hope. That's our hope for all of us. You know, when we come face to face with Jesus, we can't have an attitude of entitlement, just humility and thanks. And, and, and that doesn't stop with just being forgiven for heaven. You see, our life down here, he gives us a great promise. Radical transformation of a life when we follow Christ. We become a new person. We're born again into a new life. Our old self dies. It's crucified with Christ out of love. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives through us. You see, uh, if I ever have hope in anything that I might do, I'm, I'm fooling myself. 
all the changes that, that have happened in my life and, and every other Christ follower's life is because Christ now lives through us. So our old life is gone. Christ is living through us. He's, he's doing what it is. We're buried with Christ. I love this. We're buried with Christ. But just as Christ was raised from the dead, so are we. When we give our life to Christ, our old life dies. A new life begins. You know, so Jesus is alive. He's alive in me. He's alive in all of his followers. And he's fully present with each and every person. I'll just touch on this because the verses are in the Bible in the same passage. <laughs> what if? What if there was no resurrection? What if Easter's not true? What if that's the reality we're walking in? Then if he's not been raised, our faith is useless. <coughs> Christianity stops. It becomes useless. We should be pitied more than anyone else if there is no resurrection from the dead. That's what this says. We're still guilty of our sins. <coughs> Believing in Christ, we're still lost. If our hope is in Christ only in this life, we're to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So that's, that's our hope, because Christ has risen. And we know that 2,000 years ago. It's the faith of every Christian in history. My faith is not in vain because Christ lives. Yours isn't either. He lives so that he can live through us. Christ was raised for us. The objective evidence is overwhelming. And, and here's a challenge. One of the things that I investigated and, and wanted to make sure that I wasn't being deceived, I look for proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the life of other people, in history, in the Bible, in the eyewitness accounts of those who died professing their testimony was true. It's, it's all put out there in history, and I, I challenge people to look at that. One of my favorite proofs of, of the changed life, if you will, of Christ was Peter, the apostle that was hiding behind doors. A couple uh, weeks after this, he gathers a crowd of people, and listen to what he says. Here's, here's the confidence of a man who was hiding until he saw Christ risen from the dead. He stands in front of a crowd of, of uh, Jewish people who were gathered on the day of Pentecost in Israel. And he, and he says, hey, look. Look what he appeals to. He says, now listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing power, miracles, wonders, and signs through him. Listen. He looks at the audience and goes, as you well know. And truthfully, anyone that is hearing this that wants to investigate all the evidence in the past, historical evidence for the deeds that Jesus did. Jewish writers, Roman writers, and Christian writers all agree that he was a worker of miracles. And, but God knew that he would die. It's Peter still talking to the crowd. Prearranged plan carried out by Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless men. Listen to this. Here's what he tells the audience. That had the ability to stone him, lynch him, do whatever they wanted to, he says, and you nailed him to the cross. That's bold confidence telling him that, that they know the truth and that they were part of it and goes on. But God raised him from the horrors of death, raised him back to life, couldn't keep, the gri couldn't keep a grip on him. This is bold talk for a disciple then. And oh, by the way, in 2020, in the United States of America, it's bold talk. Talk it. Say it. You know, many parts of the world where Christians stand up and make this proclamation, 
they're tortured and killed. 100,000 Christians will die this year professing that Christ is alive for them. You know, this is a changed Peter. This is a new world, bold talk. Most famous atheist, by the way, who many famous atheists have gone out to disprove the resurrection. I encourage you to read the writings of Josh McDowell, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, Lee Strobel, A Case for Christ, J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. These are brilliant men who set out with the sole, honest purpose of saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Take it. Take the challenge and go find out. And there's a promise that goes with it. And, and here's a promise that I, I want to invite all of us into. It's a, it's a promise that, that I leaned into uh, when I was 33 years old. God promises every person, myself and anyone listening, that if you wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly seek God, you'll find him. You'll find him because he's looking for you. He's standing at the door. The evidence is there. The proof is there. Please, please look wholeheartedly. You know, uh, this is a challenge to the doubters. Go look, and if we can help, please, email us, phone us. Let's talk. Uh, continue to attend cyber services uh, as, as you go. Uh, let, us, let us be part of your search. Uh, I, when I was in my search, I didn't have anyone to talk to, so... I encourage everyone to reach out and connect with us so we can do that. What's the application? Believe that God loves us. That God so loved the world one person at a time, one heart at a time, that he sent his son to die for us. That if we would believe that, we will have eternal life. No, please know that we need a Savior. Don't count on... I thought I was a good person. I think that's kind of a common malady of all of us. We're not good people. We need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He died for my sins, your sins, for the sins of the world. Accept that. He freed us from the penalty of sins, presented Jesus, that, that the payment of his, his life for our life. There's a song called Amazing Love. The words go, Amazing Love. Pray, singing to God. Through Christ. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. In the age of high self-esteem and believing that we're good people, God cuts across all that and says, let's get real. We need a Savior. We need a God to pay for our sins. And, and become, if you get a choice, don't don't look at the, at the false Christianity that's being offered where we define who God is, that we define who Jesus is, that we define our own path to God. God's done all that. The way is clear. And I, I put it in, in bold print. And I, I know in, in tech land that means that uh, I'm angry. But I'm not angry. So please, let me. I'm not angry. Uh, here's what you've got to know. This is the large print. And here's biblical Christianity. Our old self needs to be crucified with Christ so Christ can live through us. It's not joint occupancy. My body is not a duplex. I, I put my life aside so Christ can live in me, and that's the offer that he makes by trusting him. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to be my followers, 
Give up your way, your cross, your, your, your personal autonomy and freedom that we hold so dearly in our, in our culture, in our country. If you try to hang on to it, you'll lose it. Just give God control. Let God be, control, be, be the God of our life, a living reality. Be a biblical Christian. Again, let us help in any way. You know, as, as we go forward, this is, this is our prayer and our hope. For you, for me, for everyone, that this Easter becomes a turning point, that that we make a decision to be his people, to to change the direction of our country, to to stop the the spiritual pandemic in, in our lives and our families and our friends by loving and trusting Jesus with, with all we've got. That's that's the offer, that's the hope that he gives us. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we, we stop before the throne of the living God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to, to pay for our sins. And Lord, we thank you that you relentlessly reach out to a world, even a world that rejects you. And that, that Lord, you will continue to, to knock at the doors of our heart. For those who are listening, that this might start a journey. Lord, give them the wisdom to reach out, to open the door, to invite you in, that they might learn from you. We thank you that that's your plan. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.